Welcome into In This Corner with Brian Campbell. This is the professional wrestling edition. Now me, I am handsome Nick Costos, and I am going to relate to you, dear listener, a story that happened to me earlier this week. There's this guy that works in our office, and he thinks he's in good shape. He's actually not in good shape. I am in good shape, so I'm able to make that approximation. And he said, you know what, handsome Nick? I think your arms are a little too big in proportion to the rest of your body, and your chest is a little big right now. You don't look exactly right. And I looked this guy in the eye, and you know what I did? I poked him in the eye, I kicked him in the nuts, and I threw that some bitch through a table because no one tells handsome Nick Costos how to look and how to work out. And as always, I am joined by my tag team partner, starting off with <laughs> the very handsome, the slender. He's disappearing before our very eyes. I walked past him earlier today. The guy's eating nuts and fruit like he's a damn squirrel, but he looks great. <laughs> he feels great. And damn it, he is great. He is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey now. And as always, I am joined by the man whose name is on the marquee. Come on. He is the icon. Let's go. He's the showstopper. Bring it. He is the main event. One time. He's the whole effing show. Stay hype. He is the bod that runs the pod. My man. He is the mast that guides the cast. Once more. You know his name, damn it. He is the Brian Campbell. Oh, yeah. BC, tell the listeners what's on the podcast. Do yourselves a favor and get some of this. Yes, the big boys of the wrestling podcast game are back again. This is where the big boys play, huh? You better believe it, Kevin Nash. And we got another big show for you this week, recapping a wildly up-and-down week that was in WWE. We'll update the latest from the best thing going in wrestling today. No, not Nick's workout schedule. I'm talking about the NJPW G1 Climax in Japan. We'll take a dive deep into the archives for our pay-per-view rewind segment, looking at Austin Angle from SummerSlam 2001, and let me tell you guys, I got a lot to say about that. That was fantastic. We're also going to hear from you, the listener, as we set out to prove the age-old adage that it really does go down in the DM. But before I throw it back to the most passionate man in North America, I just wanted to remind you one more time about doing your part in this scandalous audio affair. The equation here is very simple. We provide the hours of content, and you sit back and listen for free. So I'm sure you're wondering, B-Camps, how do we possibly pay you back for all these injections of performance enhancing audio well it's really quite simple if you hear something today on the show that you like if you see something say something head on over to apple podcast share your thoughts subscribe rate review look we want nasty nick to keep buying these medium bullet club shirts and we want this show to keep evolving at a rapid rate so do your part to make this audio invasion a success but now it's that time to hand it back over to south florida's most eligible bachelor a man who lives right near the beach oh boy, boy. It's Nick Costos. Yes, and you know why I get those medium shirts, because I am an insecure, petty little man who needs your likes and validation to get through the day on Instagram at the Costos. And great introduction, as always, from the cousin Yuri, the Victor Conti, the King Balco, the first of our performance-enhancing audio, the Brian Campbell. And as always, we begin with the main event. This is the main event. 
You know, we challenged BC to come up with some better sound for the main event, and damn it, he did it. BC, that's better Howard Finkel than we had the last couple weeks. Great job by you. And the first part of our main event was the main event from SmackDown Live this past Tuesday night. Shinsuke Nakamura goes over John Cena clean, setting up Brian Campbell, a SummerSlam main event for the WWE Championship. Jinder Mahal against Shinsuke Nakamura. You know, and you know what, WWE, you did well here because you got me. I thought that there would be no way that this would not be Cena winning, setting up the Captain America uh, program against Mahal at SummerSlam. They build it as a dream match. I'll give them credit. The match pretty much lived up to expectations. A pretty damn solid match out there to see these guys together for the first time. It felt big. It felt real. It felt like a musty event. And then to swerve me at the end, these are those moments when I say, you got me, WWE, because your knee-jerk reaction would be, oh, man, what are we going to do now? Shinsuke, Jinder Mahal in, the main, in, in you know, the 1A main event of SummerSlam. Neither guy can talk. While that's true, though, what do we know about an event like SummerSlam? It's a, no, it's Shinsuke a, can't it, speak English. Jinder at least can speak the language. Uh, that's a good point on there. But what we know about that is it's like WrestleMania Jace, meaning there's so many things atop this card. I mean, that, that four-man main event uh, on the Raw side, that's the main event. That's all you need to know. The, the, has the title been downgraded in Jinder Mahal's hands? Yes. The WWE Championship on the blue brand does not mean as much, but it's not going to get exposed having two guys that can't talk in it to have it as the secondary main event or at the midway point of the card. In the end, you know what this does successfully? It pushes Shinsuke like we kind of hoped he would. We had some issues at the beginning with how he was handled. This was, again, another level of that graduation moment. They put him over John Cena clean. So in the end... I got a pop for this. It was well handled, and John Cena is going to have to really bump up on Kurt Angle's gimmick the rest of the way because he's going to have to finish his career out with a broken freaking neck. Okay. That's a good, good match. It was a good moment. I pop for it all the way. I want to start with that. Okay, so the end of this match, before Nakamura hits Cena with the Kinsasha and wins clean, Nakamura goes for the inverted exploder suplex, right? So go and seek this out if you haven't seen it. This was the spot before the finish of the match where it's supposed to have Cena do a flip over and land on his stomach. That's the spot. That's always what Nakamura does leading up to the Kinsasha. What did he do instead? He dropped John Cena on his neck. This was frightening. Like, I'm dead serious. I'm watching this live, and I'm thinking, Cena might have broken his neck just now. He might not get up to take the Kinsasha. And you saw, you could see a little bit of panic in Nakamura's eyes as he's standing there by the corner. And I'll say this. It's Shinsuke Nakamura is lucky that he is Shinsuke Nakamura because if he were not Nakamura pushed to the moon, this would be like the Sopranos. Silvio Dante would drive him out into the woods and you'd never hear from him again. You drop John Cena on his neck like that, you're never heard from again. So Nakamura should consider himself, Brian, to be extremely lucky. And one thing, if you hear the, there was almost panic in JBL's voice. He was like, you know, he was almost trying to say without saying it, this is not how you do it. This wasn't supposed to happen. You go back and listen to that. It almost felt like on the air, he was calling out Shinsuke for being sloppy. We know that JBL is always a big defender of John Cena, so maybe that played in it. But there was almost like a little bit of panic in that moment when we weren't exactly sure, like, is he going to have to be carried out of there? Is it, I mean, like, that was, it, that was legitimately scary. There's no doubt about it. And it's legitimately scary that neither of you two jabronis saw this coming. Uh, I will pat myself on. On the back, I was the only one that called this last week. I just thought it was too obvious that they were going to set up, like you said, the Captain America gender scenario at SummerSlam. So not surprised that Nakamura went over. But let's take a second to your gentlemen and give John Cena a ton of credit because people bang on him all the time for Super Cena, and he's got to go over everybody. The fact of the matter is the guy puts 
everybody over. With some exceptions, Rusev and Bray Wyatt, Wade Barrett, you know, some others, of course. But he's put Daniel Bryan over. He put CM Punk over. He put Kevin Owens over. The list really goes on and Rob on. Van Rabbit. And it continued last night, Silver King, at SmackDown, putting Nakamura over and then shaking his hand after the match and actually telling Shinsuke, you have nothing to be sorry about. Oh, you almost broke my neck, and and, I, and it's still cool, and really giving him that seal of approval that Nakamura needs now. Put the rocket ship on his back, send him off into the heavens into a main event slot against Jinder at SummerSlam. Yeah, I was saying this to you earlier. You know, John Cena, lucky for him, he has the biggest deltoids I've ever seen in the world. That happens to you, me, or BC. We're not here talking today. That's just the truth. Um, I thought it was really big of uh, Nakamura. I mean, he kind of had to anyway, but to go right up to him right after the match, apologize to his face. He almost killed him. And Cena not just shook his hand, he gave him the courtesy of the bow as well, which WWE producers obviously c- cut away from because they always do that, and they had to go back. Um, listen, there was good and bad in this match. I'm going to start with the bad like I always do. They called this a dream match for t- a week and a half, basically. And they saved 15 minutes of the show for it. They went to commercial twice. So you got eight minutes of action, really, in a quote-unquote dream match between Nakamura and Cena. So, all right, that's not great. Um, here's what I'll say. The eight minutes that we got, they were pretty great. You know, once they came back from that last commercial, there was a really good story told. Um, you know, Cena losing by not going for the cover and being over-aggressive, similar to how he lost to The Rock in that first show down at WrestleMania. So it's a way that he's able to lose through aggression without looking necessarily bad that he lost a match. But listen, I thought it was really solid. I liked what both guys did. And yeah, Nakamura does seem to be the right guy going into SummerSlam. The problem is Jinder can't use any of his standard lines against Nakamura because Nakamura also doesn't speak the language. He, um, you know, the whole thing. They don't boo him because he's from a different culture. He represents millions of people, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know how the hell they're going to tell that story. Well, I think what they could do is almost they have a play like like – Jinder can go look at Nakamura. You cheer this guy. That's you you fought for yeah. this guy. He's your rock star, yet he's in the same boat as me. He's a stranger in a strange land. Why do you not pop for my people? Why do you not pop to see a shirtless Kali coming out? You know, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and I think you are right, Brian, that that's the direction it's going to go in um, in terms of that's going to be what Jinder says on the mic. We're both not from here. Why do you cheer him and boo me? I think that that's the obvious story here. And I think the jury's out on the build for this match here. I'm optimistic that it'll be pretty good. But, I mean, really, I mean, who the hell knows what's going to happen. WWE has been hit or miss recently. But I will, Bri, side with the Silver King here on the match. Good, not great. I don't think, like, I saw people on Twitter fawning over this like it's Michael's Taker at WrestleMania 25. It was a good match. It was not a great match. So I think we should slow the roll here on calling this, like, the best TV match of the year that WWE has put on. I think that is a a vast overstatement. It wasn't the best TV match of the night. I mean, Owens-Styles was a great match to open the show. Another, you know, kind of false finish, but that was the best match on the show. That's a great point. I think in this case, when you're just comparing it to recent memory, you're just happy it didn't disappoint, right? You're happy you got a swerve. You're happy you got something you didn't see coming. You're happy you got a pretty damn good match between two guys you've never seen before. For everything they've bungled lately, for how many times I'm turning on Raw and I'm saying this. Look at all of this crap in this ring. <laughs> for them to come through once, I got to give them a high five. There was a lot of crap in the ring on Raw this Monday night. We'll get into that here in just a second. But again, Nakamura goes over Cena. Nakamura gets Jinder Mahal. And worth noting, guys, when SmackDown went off the air, Baron Corbin came out to the ring, attacked Nakamura from behind. Obviously, they've had their rivalry. And Cena put Baron Corbin 
through a table. So if you're trying to connect the dots here, read the tea leaves, it seems like they could be setting up a John Cena-Baron Corbin match at SummerSlam. Of course, Corbin's got the briefcase. Could we see a cash-in? We've seen that recently at SummerSlams. Story for another time as we continue to preview SummerSlam on In This Corner with the man whose name is on the marquee, the Brian Campbell. Guys, the second part of our double main event the opening segment of Monday Night Raw. This was pretty cool. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Kurt Angle comes out, the hometown boy, gets the big ovation, and you're just waiting for someone to interrupt, and that someone is Brock Lesnar. And he comes out with Paul Heyman, and Heyman, as is his wants, usual Heyman, cuts Bry this phenomenal promo, the gist of it being... And he didn't say this outright, but everyone knows you're trying to get the championship off Brock, putting him in this fatal four-way because of the impending potential match with John Jones, the fight against John Jones in UFC. So they never mentioned John Jones or the UFC, but it's obviously implied. A lot of people like that here and said Brock will leave WWE if he does not retain the championship, Brian Campbell, at SummerSlam. Pretty good stuff. Look, this was like the Mount Everest of the show. I mean, it was all downhill after this. A very good segment. The surprise of Brock, the tease of the UFC without saying it. The closest they came was Heyman saying, you know, he will pay the ultimate price. Ultimate meaning, of course, ultimate fighting championship. That's a great moment. It gets you to pop because they're playing into a real-life situation. They're not avoiding it. They're mentioning it more or less on the air. It adds a wrinkle because the best way this works out, in my mind, is that they're playing us, that they're using the real-life situation to slowly play us into thinking Brock's going to go, and then that helps him maybe going over at SummerSlam and keeping the belt. It makes it seem like a little bit more of a surprise. That way, it's fine. But to address it this way, it does sort of open the, if it's not going to be a swerve, then this seems like there's a lot of smoke to this fire. Like Brock really is coming back to the UFC. And in that regard, what are we going to have here? We're going to have a one-off like last year where Vince sort of looks the other way, takes maybe a little money under the table and some commercial spots. What is this actually going to be? I mean, the reality of Brock's real life situation, of course, is that he retired in February officially from MMA with five months still to serve on that one year USADA suspension from UFC 200 last year. For him to come back, he would have to declare he's coming back enter into the testing pool, wait out those five months. So you're looking at 2018. We know his contract runs through WrestleMania 34 next year in April. So it's interesting on how this would play out. Is this, as Pro Wrestling Sheet and other sites sort of intimated in the in the previous weeks, just Brock trying to amp up his price? Because look at Brock, what's Brock knows where he's at. He's 40. He's trying to buy more farmland in Canada, as Paul Heyman likes to say. Is this just sort of that, or is, or is he really coming back? Because anyone that knows UFC and MMA knows that John Jones, Brock Lesnar is going to break all the, it's going to break the pay-per-view records. I mean, this is a dream fight in a lot of ways with Jones moving up, making that heavyweight debut. Like that they tied it into the real life. Really interested to see moving forward how much smoke and fire is in this. Now, this is the professional wrestling edition of In This Corner. And Brian, obviously an expert in both mixed martial arts and boxing as well. We always urge you to check out those podcasts in addition to this one here. We don't talk MMA on this podcast for obvious reasons, right? But I think we kind of have to here because it's interesting, right? Because you look at UFC 200 and Brock might have been the underdog against Mark Hunt and he roided it up and eventually won that fight. Now, if Brock fights John Jones, let, let's say it happens before... WrestleMania. Let's just say the argument's sake it's in March or something. 
Brock Lesnar, this is my opinion, Brian, this is why I want you to weigh in as someone who's actually an expert. Brock's going to get his ass kicked by John Jones if that fight happens. And if Brock gets his ass kicked by John Jones, he can't come back to WWE and get put over everyone because that, that star power is lost a little bit if he's just got knocked out or tapped out in one round by John Jones here. So if indeed we do see Brock and John Jones here, it, does Brock have a chance in hell of winning that fight? Because if he doesn't and if he loses, Brock Lesnar, the beast incarnate, as far as I'm concerned in WWE, dead and buried forever. Well, that's where you would have to set up that creative booking like I talked about. We all thought he was going to get knocked out at UFC 200. I thought there was a chance to do creative almost fallen babyface booking. It would be interesting how they would have to adjust because in this match, Jones would be an obvious favorite. Jones, with, jo- Jones with, would beat him, right? Like you would pick Jones to win that fight. No doubt about it. Look, what Brock would have coming in here is he probably, you know, you have to cut to 265 at, at the heavyweight division in the UFC. So he would probably have a functional 40 plus pound weight advantage. He's still a freak supreme athlete who can take a guy down and just hammer fist him to death. But the problem with that is this. John Jones is an exceptional wrestler. The only one to sort of manhandle Daniel Cormier during, during his MMA run. John Jones also has incredible, ridiculous length, an 84 and a half inch reach that is still a few inches longer than Lesnar. He's the most dynamic striker, maybe outside of Anderson Silva, that the UFC has ever seen. What is the thing that Brock Lesnar does not do well? take strikes to the face and respond and come back. Look, he took a couple shots against Mark Hunt, but he was a roided up animal, a freak machine. You saw him at the weigh-in that week. It was ridiculous, the monstrous that this man was. (laughs) It's a great matchup on paper, and there might be a couple moments where it would be a great matchup in the cage, but yes, to your point, He's going to lose this, and he's probably going to lose it via head kick knockout. Like, I'm serious about that. Not not just that we just saw Jones do the same to DC. That's just the kind of strike that Brock's going to walk into. Then you have creative book. Then you have ideas to do things different. But for them to embrace this wholeheartedly, it really feels like there's smoke. I'm telling you. All right, let's spin this forward a little bit here now as we get to SummerSlam and the triple threat match that we saw because we don't have this on the rest of the rundown here for the show. So let's hit it here. The Reigns-Strowman-Joe match on Raw, Bry. I saw you on Twitter. You were fired up. You had strong passion to take. Share them with the audience. Well, you know, obviously, look, was it a bad match? No, not a bad match. But it, you want to fuel customer fatigue? What do you do? You put three-fourths of the main event you're trying to hype, and you put it out there for, like, three segments for 20 minutes, and you put nothing at stake, which is exactly what happened. So in the end, and, and by the way, not putting it in the main event slot, some people think because the ratings have been such strong, so much stronger in that 9 to 10 block than that 10 to 11 block on the East Coast time, that's maybe why they did that. But it, it came off as a fail here. And, when, again, when you have a match where nothing matters, then – the performances don't tend to matter. And although each three guys kind of sold out to a bit, we're now starting to get to the point where we've seen it too much. Look, what do people hate sometimes when they criticize like a three-hour show like Raw? They hate that there's these tired, repeated segments like contract signings and all this stuff. Contract signing segments are great, by the way. You know why? Because you can have some trash talk back and forth. You know it's going to end with somebody going through a table, and it gets you juiced to get excited to see what it's going to look like finally in the ring. When you constantly give away the in-ring product and have it mean nothing, you're just wearing down your, your fan base. You know why they did this. It's all about ratings. So maybe they're basically like, we don't care that the smart fans are going to complain because they're going to keep watching anyway. They've been doing and it for months, Brian. The truth. They've been Whereas doing it for the months. Casual fan- Flipping through, watching Reigns do a spear outside through a barricade is probably going to stick with their broadcast. But it just frustrates you because it makes you go, how are we really going to get to SummerSlam here? This has been so hot, it's almost like you can't screw it up. Are you going to screw it up by just 
constantly serving it to? Are we going to get steak every day, and eventually we're going to wear down to the beef? What's going on here? Well, I mean, we we saw that you know with with the with the five man match for the number one contendership. All it was leading up on Raw up to that paper up to. Uh, uh, the pay-per-view before Great Balls of Fire, which is escaping me at the moment here, it was just one-on-one matches, tag team matches involving the same guy. So this is, it's just rinse and repeat here for WWE. Now, good and bad. Good or bad, excuse me, for the reasons you just referenced, but good because I like all these performers. I think that we all do here. And I think Samoa Joe has done such a great job. And I think that if they do a title change, I would like to see Samoa Joe leave with the belt. And here's why I think they're not going to screw this up, Bri. And it's the first thing that you said. They actually cannot screw this up. Like, this is something that WWE actually, like, I guess they could if they really tried, maybe put the big show in the match. Like, they could potentially screw this up, but they're not going to here because all the performers are so good. And now there's a ton of intrigue because I'll bet, and this is what we're going to do. We'll have a little exercise right now. We haven't talked about this in advance. We're all going to give our thoughts as to who's going to win very quickly here. Not a ton of explanation because we'll get into it leading up to the pay-per-view. But as of right now, Silver King, who do you think's going over in that SummerSlam main event? So I thought it was smart that WWE weaved in this type of John Jones potential storyline thing. And because of that, I think it's more likely Brock Lesnar retains the title coming out of the event. Because I really do not think he's in any position to fight John Jones in December or January. That's something where if you're going to build it up, it's going to be a Mayweather-McGregor or a Mayweather-Pacquiao type of build to that match. It's not, you're not just going to do it in three, four months. So I think it's more likely that Brock Lesnar retains, and I'll give a little extra credit. If someone does win the title, I think it's Samoa Joe pinning Roman Reigns. Well, you know, to, to the to just do the math, he literally could not come back until like the last week of right. December, which they do their New Year's Eve card. It would make sense for the UFC, but he would have to declare today. They'd have to make it public. I don't know if that's happening anytime soon. I, I still want John Jones at SummerSlam. I know that it gets a little messy when you do that. I want John Jones in the front row, snarling at Brock, making fun of him, even handing having a hand in the finish. I know that would probably never happen because it's almost UFC's way of saying like, are we fixing fights here? Are we doing pro wrestling? You know, it would probably never happen. But if there had to be a side deal in terms of WWE saying, well, let you have Brock again in a one-off. We need something back. That something back, having John Jones at your summer, so that might, that might be good. But in terms of who goes over in the end, I haven't really put much thought into it because I'm expecting such a great match. If it ends up being Brock, then this is the way to do it. Like Silver King said, I think, you know, it really could be Samoa Joe's time right now because of how well how they've overachieved in, in billing him as a legit top-end hitman main event type guy. I would not be upset with that. Guys, Intrigue, intrigue with this. Like we've all got different ideas about how it can go down, but I think we can all agree the match itself should be pretty good. And this is why I think that they actually cannot screw it up because we all have different thoughts as to how it's going to happen. Maybe it's interference. Maybe it's a screw job. Maybe it's clean. Maybe X wrestler wins. Maybe it's Y wrestler. Intrigue. That's what it's all about. You want to go into it not knowing what's going to happen so you can have that legit mark-out organic moment. And guys, I think we're going to get that Sunday, August 20th, Barclays Center, Brooklyn, New York. At SummerSlam, handsome Nick Costos and the man whose name is on the marquee, Brian Campbell, sitting in the front row. And Brian, just a side note, buddy, you excited to paint New York City red with me coming up here in a couple weeks? 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. We are going to do things that we will hopefully wish we could forget. I mean, it's going to be that kind of New York home for the NY Nick coming back to the stomping ground. Yes, we will be getting deep in the red wine. I will not be saying how deep we're going to get because this is a family program. I'll break out my Nia Jax t-shirt if I got to wear that on the town. <laughs> yeah, of course, because as we know about Brian Campbell, he's not like most girls. And Adam Silverstein, not like most hosts. He is very special. He is, in addition to being a host, he is also the honorable the judge of our Hero or Zero Best of Five segment. I feel like Campbell's whipped my ass here a couple weeks in a row, so I desperately need a victory here. So it is now time for Hero or Zero. Drop that zero and get with the hero. All right, guys, let's kick it off with Raw this so week. <laughs> WWE teased the return of the Demon King with some red lights and that heartbeat noise as Finn Balor surprised Bray Wyatt by appearing in the middle of the ring. BC, here is Hero on Balor bringing back the Demon King at SummerSlam. Look, Hero for us popping and for WWE in general. Uh, you know my feelings. You know I actually prefer the Fonzie version of Finn Balor with, with a leather jacket almost being a real person, right? Being a real wrestler rather than going down that gimmick of doing the extraterrestrial, which sometimes, I mean, look, it works with heels. It works with guys who need it. Finn Balor's too good. That's too good of a look. He doesn't need it. That is a side topic. Hero to introduce here, the tease, and you add the wrinkle of him showing up in the ring. Like suddenly he has equ- – acquired the talents, the, the satanic talents, if you will, that Bray does where he can control the house lights and just appear and disappear. And if he didn't acquire it, then he's finally utilizing it. So under storyline, it's like Bray is the one who could bring that out of him. They tease it with the pulse. He shows up with his back turned, almost inviting to be attacked and then surprising him with that kick. All of that across the board hero, because this is a money feud right now. I am still, still down with the back and forth of these promos. Yes, it's getting a little bit confusing right now. Still <laughs> down with the direction though that they're going hero all the way i just want to put this one question down there though how is it going to end how is bray finn balor stepping into his his you know otherworldly powers and talents how is that going to work out for a baby face up against such a dark heel i don't know i'm going to give them that chance to win me over i do have some questions on how it's going to go if you are going to do the demon king at SummerSlam. Finn Balor has to win the match. Like, if they do Demon King, Finn Balor goes over. And the story that I would tell, and this is why, like, again, the main event's going to be great. Then I think Brock wins, and then you set up the Demon King against the Beast at Survivor Series or whatever pay-per-view they're going to do for the Universal Championship. I think that would be a pretty cool story. I'm going to give this a zero. And I know the question is, Balor at SummerSlam, that would be pretty cool to do the Demon King at SummerSlam. We'll be there. That'll be fun. But I'm going to give a zero to this overall thing. And I've waffled back and back and forth on this. And I, and I admit that here because I liked it a couple weeks ago. It's just the same tired crap from Bray Wyatt. Like, I don't need to watch him give a promo because he gives the same promo every time he's freaking out there. It's not interesting to me. And Finn is not giving you great work on the microphone. Like, what happened this segment on Raw did not jazz me up. It did not get me excited for a few that has basically come out of nowhere, that'll probably die after SummerSlam, that I don't give a damn about. It's a zero for me. A zero for the feud. Will I pop for the Demon King entrance at SummerSlam? You're damn right I will. But I, am I excited for that match? No, I am not. It gets the big old zero from yours truly. Bray on the mic was an absolute zero, but Finn Balor and that Demon King, you got to know who your judge is. That's a, that's a hero every single time. BC gets the point. Yes. Over An overall horrific episode of Raw if we take out a couple high spots, held true in the main event, uh, with the second hour actually being the big match we were all waiting for, and the third hour ending with Big Show versus Big Cass 
again. Nick, here are zero on how this storyline has progressed, and has it turned a corner for you? Will you allow me, guys, a moment to pontificate here? So I'm 34 years old. I do a lot of different things here at CBS. Um, we have reached the point now where Raw has been so bad at points that I find myself wishing I was watching something else. But I can't do that. And here's the reason why. I care about you, the listener, and more importantly, and selfishly, I care about me. I talk about my, my crippling insecurity. You know what my insecurities? I'm a petty, insecure little man. Some of that's a little stick. Some of it's kind of true. You know what it drives me to do? It drives me to be great. And I can't do a great job on this podcast unless I'm watching the product. So what we're getting now is I've got girls that want to hang out on Monday or Tuesday night. And you know what I tell them? I'm busy. You know what I'm doing? I'm sitting on the couch watching Raw and SmackDown, taking notes, you know, going through ideas in my head for this show because I give a damn about the show and I give a damn about the listener. And more importantly, I'm very selfish and I need to be great to validate my existence. Otherwise, why the hell do I get up in the morning? And what they give gave us here on Monday night in the main event was such hot garbage and trash. Like, they're not even trying. We could dissect this from a million different levels. The Enzo Amore disaster. He's basically a chicken you know what heel that's being portrayed as a baby face that comes out and talks all this smack but needs someone else to fight his battles for him it's ass backwards then you give us big cast against the big show in the year of our lord 2017 is the main event of monday night raw it's an awful match because big show's awful and big cast is awful you need to give cast someone to bump for him you know who can't bump for him paul white that's never gonna happen and how about Monday Night Raw in 2017 goes off the air with the Big Show's music playing. Holy hell, what year is this? 2001? Like, really? Like, they sat, Brian, they sat in a room. People sat in a room and said, let's make this the main event. This will really do well. People are really going to like this. Or it's going to absolutely freaking suck. And Nick Costa's going to be sitting down by the beach boy in South Florida wishing he was doing something or someone else rather than watch <laughs> this hot garbage so we can pontificate about it on on the show on Wednesday. Holy hell, that was terrible. Yeah, uh, wow. Let me just uh, recover from the bombs that were just just dropped out of there by, by good old Nick. Uh, you know, I'm a married man, so I don't have as much of those same problems, but was this an absolute waste of my time? Was this a zero? You better believe it. This was... You hate to try to say things like this. This was almost an all-time bad episode of Raw. I know you can counter and say, what about that Finn Balor statement? I agree. What about the Brock thing off the top? All-time bad compared to what it could or should have been. It kind of it was a microcosm of the roster and the current state we're in. There's so much talent on this roster. There's so many creative people backstage writing ideas. How do you put this out? It peaked with that Brock Lesnar segment, like I mentioned. But to not to know how that he only has part-time gig, he has such a limited amount of dates, to not have him speak or put his hand on someone and then not appear again, especially during a three-way match later, which was all about him in the four-way that we're going to see at, at SummerSlam, to have an underachieving, like I mentioned, triple threat, to have just one bad moment after another and to roll out the big show and big cast. Like... Okay, you're going to put this out there. That means – what are you trying to say? Well, number one, you're trying to say that you don't care about Raw and you don't have a lot of uh, – you don't have a lot of confidence anymore in your final hour in getting ratings. Number two, it might be you trying to say we got to make Big Show Big Cast and the Enzo Angle hot because everybody's crapping on it and no one cares. So what do you do? You roll it out with no wrinkle whatsoever. Nothing was accomplished. Big, sh big Cast for the third straight week beat down both guys completely. Only this time, Cast – 
and Enzo were the ones who walked away in the end following a little skirmish that didn't matter. It's like, what am I supposed to think right now about this? How happy is Katie Fick? <laughs> she's not happy because she's dead. And that's how happy I was sitting there. Like, are you kidding me? This was so awful, so unacceptable. We are in the build to SummerSlam. That's why I'm saying this was almost an all-time worse uh, episode where there worst times where you probably saw worse episodes yes but compared to what they have on board compared to the out you had Brock Lesnar in your locker room in a confirmed date that you can use him and appear him and you rolled out this crap completely unacceptable you know BC you tried really hard there but nothing you know nothing was getting over what I pipe popped I got to go first and I dropped the pipe yeah, you knew it it. so it it's one one here going into number three uh, you know with legal issues continuing around this broken universe it appears WWE and the Hardy Boys may be going in a little different direction with the quote-unquote Woken Hardys. The gimmick seems to be that recent beatdowns have awoken their drive and passion as a tag team, as brothers. Are you buying this as something that could work if WWE never actually gets to go full Broken Hardys, BC, Hero or Zero? I love the broken gimmick so much. It got me to watch TNA for like <laughs> six straight months and not just watch a little bit of it, like watch every second of the broadcast and get dialed in. Do I want a fast food version of the Woken universe of Woken Mad Hardy? And what are we going to call him? Uh, Brother Zero instead of Brother Nero? No, I don't <laughs> want this because this was such an original organic gimmick. There's a degree of me that doesn't even want this on WWE in general because I don't want them to ruin it outright. But to come back with the woken and we this is where we got it we got it from a ww.com exclusive interview video yes i popped a little bit to see matt do the you know the the kind of shtick that he did on tna that we don't see a lot of in wwe but i have visions of this just being a second rate you know it's sort of like when you know uh a performer has a gimmick that kind of works in the WWE. Then they go somewhere else and they try to trim it up. Remember, you know, Mr. Anderson and TNA. Like, it's just not it's just not the same thing in the end, right? I don't want this great gimmick to get ruined. So you know how you fix it, WWE? You know how you make this a hero? Spend the money to buy the rights. I know there's this long, drawn-out battle of whether TNA Anthem actually owns the rights or what's going on. They brought back Billy Corgan as an intermediary. We know WWE trying to save money by not doing things like pyro or talking smack or what have you. You know what? Take that money you save and buy the gimmick. I don't care how much it costs. We talked ad nauseum that when you have the Hardys and you don't use them the right way, you have an old, tired, nostalgic deck. Don't give me Woken Matt Hardy. Give me Broken Matt Hardy. I don't care what it costs. You want to cut a 30-year roster? You want to shut down Tuesday nights? Whatever you got to do, 205. I don't care what it is. Buy the gimmick, okay? Because you should be the ones owning it. What is it going to cost you? 50 grand? Buy the gimmick. Stop hiring these other people you don't need. Buy the gimmick. It's, it's, a, it's a zero under this terms. It could be a grand hero. Uh, you know, I like that they call it the Woken. That's what they're going with because it's putting people to sleep. And what they really need to do is wake people up. And you know how they do that? By turning them broken. No one wants to see the Woken Hardy Boys. I shouldn't say no one because you got marks out there. They're going to cheer for the Hardys no matter what. But a lot of people, myself included, we love the Broken gimmick because it was new and it was original and it was groundbreaking. And quite frankly, it was pretty damn awesome. And what we're getting now is not awesome. And I feel like WWE, Bri, they don't know what the hell they're doing with the Hardys right now. Like all those losses that they had recently, all of a sudden... That's in the gone by the wayside now, and they go over Gallows and Anderson on Monday night. Like you're building this story that's kind of intriguing with the Hardys losing. What's gonna happen? Because this great tag team keeps losing, and now all of a sudden they get the win, and we know what's gonna happen. At SummerSlam, we're gonna get the Hardys 
against the Revival, against Gallows and Anderson in a triple threat tag match, probably a number one contendership for the tag team championship. And you know what? That's fine because the match will be really good. But it's not about the match. It's about on a weekly basis, not putting viewers to sleep, entertaining us. We want Broken Hardys. We don't want Woken Hardys. Zero for the Woken Hardys. That might be the closest one we've had to date, but the fact that BC was willing to join me in canceling 205 Live just to get the broken gimmick, you got that point. That's that's everything I want. I'm to telling hear. you, this guy's the Russian judge. He's a, he's a commie. It's unreal. Number four. First, it was Adrian Neville. Then, Antonio Cesaro. And then, Alexander Rusev. Now, guys, it's Elias Sampson. WWE has dropped Elias' second name. Are you down to simply walk with Elias, or do you still want to talk to Samson? Nick. Well, I always I always want to talk to Samson. That's probably a story for another time and probably not family-friendly enough material for this podcast, but I love talking to Samson. Um, who cares, really? It's not really that big a deal. The one thing that it does do, and this is why I would have kept Samson, because when he is introduced, right, JoJo goes, and now Elias. And then his first line is, Hello, everyone, I am Elias. And who wants to walk with Elias? It works better if he goes, Hello, my name is Elias Sampson, and I have one question for you. Who wants to walk with Elias? It's like when you read a script, like on TV, you want to avoid using the same words in rapid succession. So when he says Elias Sampson, it's more effective than when he says who wants to walk with Elias. He can't go... My name is Elias, and and then I have a question. Who wants to walk with Elias? It doesn't sound as good, but ultimately, who the hell cares? I like Elias, Samson, Elias, whatever the hell they're going to call him here. Uh, it's not a hero or a zero. It's negligible for me, so I, I give it neither H nor Z. Look, I don't even have to talk, and you're going to give me the point because Nick just basically executed himself. I mean, this is yep. a zero. Nick's response was a zero. Let me just say why My it's a My response was great. No, we know this is a Vince McMahon thing, right? He likes one names. He hates juniors. We've seen it. Adam mentioned all the names. He could have thrown out Biggie Langston in that group as well. You know what, Vince? Get a handle on this earlier, like when you call a guy up, because we're sick of going through this. You made Elias Sampson in the past month and a half, two months, a viable contender, someone we love to see. We love Elias Sampson. I want to walk with Sampson, all the great jokes. To cut it right now, right when he's in the middle of it, it makes no sense. It also sort of waters him down. He's not Elvis, okay? So don't go with the one-name thing. And by the way, Elvis had two names. It was Elvis Presley. It wasn't just called Elvis. Don't do this to him, not just for personal reasons, because I love the Samson Half-Baked references. I love the idea that he's got this long, flowing hair. So there's like this biblical thing in there that one day they could do a gimmick and play up. You know, he only has this power because of that long, flowing hair. Can you imagine the WrestleMania match you can do here? If you lose... I get to shave your head. Oh! I mean, can you imagine the, the possibilities just on that alone? But seriously, you're that, by the way, that, by the I, way, Brian was the president of the United States of America. Go on. I, I, look, I think of him as a WWE Hall of Famer, first and foremost. But I will say that you got a guy that you're building strong. There's no reason to call him just Elias. It's stupid. You're going to do it. Do it when you call him up. Stop. Just stop. Okay? I mean, the, and by the way, no. it's still B. Langston to me, damn it. Okay? That's the bottom yeah, line. That, I, and look, unre- before we turn it over to the Russian judge here, like, the, like, like are you – like, are, seriously – are we really outraged over this? Like, cause I really like, who the hell, like, why is this a big deal? Who cares? Like, like, do you really miss like Alexander Rusev or Adrian Neville? Like, who cares? It's just not that big a deal. Like, like, why are we so outraged over this? I don't even understand why it's a hero or zero topic, Silver King. Well, I'll tell you guys, it's not just things like this. It's also bringing someone up, and this is where Brian won the point, obviously. Uh, it's, it's bringing someone up and then 
changing their entrance music three times in the first three weeks. It's changing their tights. WWE can't just settle on a character and come away. By the way, with Elias Sampson, they also don't call him the Drifter anymore. And that was a really big, good, fun part of his gimmick backstage. You never see that or hear that anymore. So they're changing plenty with him. BC nailed it. He's up three to one going into number five. So you need a two point answer. Yeah, I love here, this Nick. that the wacky scoring system. This is unbelievable. No, it's how a, fix this crap. Is. It's a normal scoring system. You just can't get to game five. So we need a two point uh, answer for you here. WWE did a good job keeping its SummerSlam intentions in the dark until Tuesday night regarding the U.S. championship. But now it's all out in the open, and we will see AJ Styles versus Kevin Owens in a televised U.S. title fight for the fourth time. This time, Shane McMahon will be the special guest referee. With all the unclean finishes and all the storyline implications that have gone through this with the title change at MSG, does this work for you, assuming we're going to get the match we've all been hoping for for the last month plus? BC, hero, or zero? It, it should and could be a zero because they're stretching out another feud that they didn't really put a lot of attention to detail to that should have been great, and it only came off as blah, and now they're stretching it out one more month. But when you consider the star power here and you consider the match they had, look, when they walked out to open and have a, another title rematch, I was like, we don't need this. But like Adam, after watching that match, I popped because it was a really great match. And it reminded me they hadn't put their best foot forward in this feud for all the reasons I've been saying for six weeks. To finally do that in the last month, they can redeem it. So in the end, this is a hero because these are two guys who should be in a really important feud against each other. They're magic inside the ring. If you can finally develop storylines and let them – Use the mic to talk each other. You're going to get magic in your show. Adding Shane is very key here because having special guest referees like Shane are SummerSlam type moments. Those are the type of matches we typically see at a pay-per-view that matters like SummerSlam. Doing it in this case, very smart. KO and Shane have been building up some disrepair between them over the past few months. A lot of times I'm talking smack, little side things that have starting to bubble up. In the end, they could put a really nice bow on this in the end, and we'll forget how bad the feud was because these two guys bring it. I have no disbelief that they're going to go out there in SummerSlam and not put on a close-to-five-star match after being sort of held back the last few months. It's going to be a hero in the end. I support it. I also loved, in addition to the match, what a great interview backstage with Kevin Owens. So, like, Mike Chioda can't see. He counts down the three for Styles to win, even though Owens' shoulders up, and Owens goes ballistic backstage to Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon, and he really plays that heel character so well and so realistically like you actually believe hey Kevin Owens is really the guy that he portrays on TV he is just absolutely sensational so I love that now it's a hero for right now but this is what we need we need a clean finish at SummerSlam between these two and I'm nervous that with Shane added in there that we might not get the clean finish because one way or another I feel like I'm like Lawrence Fishburne in the Matrix here like one way or another it ends tonight like it ends at SummerSlam like this cannot continue on past SummerSlam we need an end and I think this will be the resolution Styles will 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 win clean Owens will blame Shane McMahon Owens will beat him up after the match, and we will get an Owens-Shane McMahon match at some point, maybe at the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view to really put it over, and they'll do a Hell in the Cell match, and Shane will take some crazy bumps. But this match at SummerSlam must have a clean finish. Just roll the ball out there like we talked about last week. Roll the ball out there and let LeBron James and Steph Curry do what they do. Don't try and make them run the triangle offense and do bumps and all ref bumps and run-ins and all this crap. Do a straight match. These two are great. They will deliver. And then we have a resounding hero, a hero with a capital, bold, italicized, underlined H. There needs to be a clean finish. Nick nailed that. He also nailed the answer, got the point. 
but it was not enough. Three to two. BC wins hero or zero. Well, what, 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 a, what a surprise there. Silverstein, the corrupt Russian judge. And now, Bri, I think you've won like 87 weeks in a row. I may have to I, retire. I won so much, we can, should consider changing the name of the show. The In This Campbell podcast. <laughs> yes, I love the In This Campbell podcast. And you know what else I love, Brian Campbell? Our great friends at Harry's. Tell the listeners a little bit about Harry's, your experience, and how they can get involved with this amazing product. Shout out to our guys, Jeff and Andy at Harry's. Look, me shaving, it's not always the best experience, right? I rock the year-round uh, sort of 5 o'clock shadow for a reason. Tough always to find a, a quality shave. I'm always searching around, finding a, a new blade. It's just never a good process. What Harry's will do for you is it'll make the shaving experience it'll make it feel glamorous. It doesn't make it feel like an ordinary part of your day yep. to get a package in the mail from Harry's. The first thing you notice there is really the quality of the blades. It just jumps out at you. Nick, Closeness of shave, I may have had the closest, freshness, smoothest feeling of a shave since, you know, back in those teenage days, right? Back in the days when I was a teenager. I'm talking about high quality here from Harry's. You can't go wrong. And I'm looking at you. We're doing this podcast on Skype. Like, the closeness of your shave, I have actually never seen your face before. Like, like I've seen your face, obviously, but you've always got the facial hair. That is a close shave. And my man, you look absolutely tremendous. Now, for me, I've got to shave like four or five days a week. And i got to be honest. It kind of sucks, and if you're out there listening right now and you have to shave for work all the time, you know that it sucks to have to shave all the time. Now, Harry's makes shaving not suck. Now, we talked about the quality of blades. That's important, and the closeness is important. For me, the most important thing is comfort, and when I shave with Harry's razors and with that with the, with the, with the gel and with the lather, it's comfortable. It doesn't hurt my face. It's, it, it's glamorous, like you said. You feel good afterwards. You don't get razor burn and for me that's the most important thing so if you're out there listening and you shave a couple times a week three four five times a week you are insane if you don't check out harry's over three million guys already have you're going to check out harry's bry by going to harry's.com backslash corner for the free trial you get the ergonomic razor handle you get five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and I love me some lubricating strips, plus the trimmer blade, the rich lathering shave gel, plus the travel blade cover. Bry, they go to harrys.com backslash what? Backslash corner. Look, guys, it's all about a great shave at a fair price. Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys behind Harry's. They were fed up with buying overpriced razors. Who can't relate to that? They started Harry's to fix shaving once and for all. They bought their own German factory with over 100 years of blade-making experience. They may have put Heidenreich behind the scenes working there to help them out, the great German man himself. The experience is to ensure the highest quality, and that's what you get with Harry's. So claim your free trial offer today. That's a $13 value for free when you just sign up. Just cover the shipping, and you're all set. Nick, you want that close shave. You can't go wrong. See, I mean, that's the bottom line. You know, you referenced Heidenreich. Me, personally, I would have gone with Das Wunderkind, Alex Weit, and perhaps you'd have Udisco Inferno joining him as well. Remember that great WCW tag team, the Dancing Fools, Alex Veit, and the Disco Inferno? I love me some Alex big. Wright. I thought big for them, back, by the way. And by the way, Alex Ray looked like he was about 14. So you talk about a close shave. That guy def- definitely benefiting from the Harry's experience. No doubt about it. That's harrys.com slash corner. That's some good stuff right there from our friends at Harry's. And how about great questions this week coming in via the direct messages, Brian, as we slide into the DMs. Tell the listeners how they can get involved. 
DM season is open. We want to hear from you. This show is for the people and by the people. Continue to send your questions on Twitter at B Campbell CBS at the Costos at Silverstein Adam. We want to hear from you. Let's get to it. All right. DM question number one comes courtesy of the prophet. Dingus McGee, remember Dingus called the great Kali's appearance in the Punjabi prison match? He's back, and he asked, guys, lots of tag teams have split up recently. Which singles would you pair up as a new team, Brian Campbell? You know, this is an interesting question. There are a lot of tag teams getting split up. It's an interesting idea to sort of pair guys. Like, could you take uh, uh, could you take Aiden English and put him up with uh, Ty Dillinger and have a jobber tag team called Perfect English? You could do something lame like that. <laughs> but I want to shout out to a since this is the DM segment, a DM slider, Michael Sean at R E E B eighty two. He had a cool idea that he dropped my way. He says, "What about you have Big Show turn heel on Enzo as well, and you have a big man tag team called?" The Big Cash Show. And maybe you can eventually have Enzo come back and be their mouthpiece. For how bad that situation is right now, we talked about it for how they did the main event of Raw this week and it was a debacle. That might be the best way to fix it. I actually popped for that because I thought that's an improvement on where we're going right now. Two seven-footers, Nick, you can't teach that. Um, If they somehow worked that out, I, I was lost up until the Enzo mouthpiece part. Maybe that would be okay. But you know what? That would actually be kind of good, and it appears as if WWE is committed to making that storyline bad. So I don't think that we will see that. Now, my answer to this question, it would be on SmackDown Live. I would take Dolph Ziggler and pair him with Chad Gable. I think they would be sensational together. Built-in storyline of Ziggler can say he's felt disrespected. Chad Gable had Jason Jordan leave him because he's Kurt Angle's son now. And I think the in-ring product would be pretty good. What say you, Silver King? You know, I like that a lot. And the real answer, I mean, the real answer is Enzo and Cass and Jason Jordan and Chad Gable, two teams that never should have been broken up in the first place. Um, mine's kind of similar to yours. It includes Dolph Ziggler, who's basically doing nothing, but he's tremendous in the ring. And it's Sami Zayn. You got the last names with Z's. You can probably do something there. Neither of them are doing much. The killer Z's. The killer Z's, and they need face tag teams on SmackDown. So I like to see both of those guys in a situation where they actually matter, and they're doing things that matter. And if you had the Usos retain the titles over New Day, you have them as a face tag team to go against. And if they did ever have Big Cass and Big Show as a tag team, they could call them the killer Z's because they would put the audience to sleep. Our next DM question comes courtesy of Sean L. at Laybones. This is a really good question that I think will provoke some interesting answers here. If you were running WWE and money was not a factor, what changes would you make to improve the product, Brian Campbell? I'd bring back fireworks right off the start. No question about that. Look, here's what I would do. I would pull back the reins. This isn't even a money situation. I'd actually save money. I'd get rid of this large creative staff that never even gets a voice usually because it's Vince at the end of the line with a big stamp saying, hell no, you know, you're fired. I want to pull back the reins, give guys bullet points, and let people develop naturally into the character they are supposed to be. If you did that, WWE, and I know your counter argument would be, well, it's a multi-million dollar organization. You can't put a live mic in front of anyone these days. Take Who cares? Take that back for a second. If you pulled back the reins and gave people bullet points and let them find their way there, you would create real crossover must-see buzz superstars. There's no question about that. Also, I would continue to make pay-per-views feel bigger by changing the look in the arena, like I mentioned. I would also just go back to more of an idealism, and it's something we like from NJPW, that matches matter. I'm not saying you have to have 
updated rankings or standings. But remember there was that little tiny thing they did in the 80s when a match would end, especially by DQ. They say, well, you know, at least that guy got the winner's purse. It always led you to believe like that. that every match mattered because you were being paid more for winning. There are little things you can do to make this feel more like MMA, that you are building towards something to a win. This is not something that costs money. So maybe I'm violating the spirit of this question. These are just subtle little things that you can go to make your product feel important, like it matters, rather than turning in, tuning in like we do every week and seeing another match rolled out and trying to, in our own way to figure out why should I care about this. I don't need money for any of these, but there are a lot of things WWE could and should be doing better because there are far, far too much talent in that cupboard to not be wowing us every single week. This is getting ridiculous. I'm getting amped up and angry. Every week is just getting more and more. I'm going to keep this short and sweet. You stole my thunder. That's the answer. You stop overly scripting the product. That's first and foremost nothing to do with money. But if you do give me some cash, I am throwing a blank check the way of a Mr. <laughs> Kenneth Omega from New Japan Pro Wrestling, and I'm bringing the best performer over the world in the world over to the United States to compete in WWE. And the last thing that I would do, I would move Monday Night Raw back to two hours, and I think that would be beneficial for all parties involved. Selfishly, mostly myself, so I don't have to sit through three hours of crap, potentially, like what I had to do this past Monday night. Mine's along the lines of BCs. It has to do with creative. I would definitely cut some of that staff. But what I would do is I would reinvest that money and spend more money and hire two legitimate Hollywood showrunners, one for Raw and one for SmackDown. They don't even really need to know wrestling. They don't have to be former wrestlers. They need to be guys that worked on The Wire, on Game of Thrones, on some of these massive, huge series that know how to take a story, not just from episode one to episode 13, but through season two, season three, and season four. Because what you have with WWE is many times when you get into the year, they book month to month, and they don't think about the year as a whole outside of maybe the main event of WrestleMania. So you hire those two people, you pay them a very good salary, and you have them teach these people and run the shows just like regular Silver Hollywood King, productions. What's, what's the problem with what you're saying right now? What? What's the, the, Vince, ob the obvious problem? That Vince would need to is give that, up control? Is, is, that, yeah. is that Vince McMahon would just veto it if he wanted to veto it? And like, well, you're paying you're, these guys money and Vince is going to veto what they're saying. Yeah, I mean, if you're hiring someone like that, the hope is like... So basically what you said, you hire a hitman with the money to kill Vince McMahon <laughs> and then you put these showrunners in charge. Sure, sure. But obviously there would have to be some understanding that you have to give up control there, which would be tough in the first place. But if you had the money and you're willing to make that investment, you would hope he'd be able to separate himself. Thanks a lot to our guy Sean L. for that question. And we close out the DM segment with... At Reigns Russell, Russell Reigns, he says that we talked about the Philly crowd on the Battleground Instant Analysis pod and wants to know some of the other great crowds in WWE who makes the most noise. What's the best events? What cities are they held in? Uh, this is a pretty easy answer, Bri. There's like three that really stand out. Let's see if you can hit them with us. A shout out to Russell Reigns, the younger brother of Roman Reigns, not yet in the business, <laughs> but he is sliding into our DMs here. Uh, you look, the Philly crowds are notoriously great and tough, obviously. Chicago is the That's crowd for me. That's yep. the, the one that won't sell your BS, that will sometimes take your baby faces, turn them into heels, and do quite the opposite. Those are the crowd that pops. Look, Madison Square Garden still matters, so New York crowds are still what they are today. Outside of Philly, Chicago and New York, I don't have any other cities that jump out to me as really, really good WWE crowds, really, really good wrestling crowds. Am I missing something here, guys? I got one for you, and those and those are the ones, Chicago and New York, and I hate this to say this as a native New Yorker, lifelong New Yorker, the Chicago crowd's better than the New York crowd. It just kind of is what it is. One city, though, that I think deserves mentioning here, Toronto. 
The Toronto yes. crowd is always great, and I would love to see a WrestleMania back in Toronto. We haven't seen one since, I believe it was 18, when Hogan faced The Rock and Triple H squashed Chris Jericho in the main event. Not a lot of squashes, guys, in the G1 tournament, Brian Campbell, as we get into this week in NJPW. Now, I swear to God, we're not on the elites payroll, but worth mentioning here because it is kind of noteworthy that the Bullet Club Young Bucks shirts are selling at Hot Topics like absolutely crazy, the sales that they're doing. Hot Topics been tweeting about it, so they're doing a great job here. Brian, let's just get people caught up to speed on the standings here, and then I want to get your take on some of the matches we've seen over the past couple weeks. So there is a little bit of a spoiler alert here if you're not caught up, but we are only six matches through or five matches through in the A block, um, what is a 10-match tournament. So in the B block, we've got Okada with 12 points, undefeated. Omega's got 10. It's all geared up towards August 12th. That's the final match of the B, of the B block. Omega, Okada, three. And in the A block, Bry, a four-way tie for first, eight points apiece. Zack Sabre Jr., Tomohiro Ishii, Tanahashi, and Naito all atop the A block. What has stood out to you in the G1 this week? What stood out to me is just personally, man, I almost hit a wall there. I put so much G1 content into my life the week before and got so jazzed up. By the way, the quality of content has not slipped one bit. It's been absolutely incredible, but it wears you down. It makes you appreciate what these guys are going through as performers because us as watchers can get completely worn down almost to the point, Nick. I want to hear your take. I want to throw it right back to you. It's almost too much of a good thing, too much of a great thing, a great amount of too much of a great thing, because I'm pretty worn down. I'm fired up to see how it closes out. Do they give an each great match enough time to breathe when the next day you're seeing six great ones coming right back at you? No, and I think this is a function sort of of age as well. And, and it hurts you the most, Bri, because you, you have a family, right? Silver King and I, both bachelors. You've got a couple kids. You've got a wife, right? So you've got more stuff going on in your life. Like if I'm 16 years old, 16-year-old Nick Costos, all I'm doing all day is watching the G1 and absolutely loving it. But you are right. There is a lot of it. And it's not bad. It's just hard to get fully invested in on a nightly basis, right? Because there's so much good stuff. And like, how do you carve the time out in your day with everything else that's going on in life to really sit down and enjoy it? So for me, the entire focus for me right now is Omega Okada. Let's just get to that because that's what I'm really excited to see. The matches have been really good, but at this point, I'm fascinated to see how it's going to turn out here. Who's going to win the A block? Who's going to win Omega Okada? And what are we going to see in the final? Who's going to go over? What are we going to see at Wrestle Kingdom? It is all sort of fascinating here as it starts to wind down, Silver King. Absolutely. And there's been some ridiculously high marks. I mean, Kota Ibushi continues to put himself over as as arguably the top performer in this entire tournament. There's a lot of questions of, can he come out of this A block? Because he's not currently a full-time NJPW performer. He's been sort of freelancing lately. It'd be interesting to see if they surprise and make a run. And the surprise is if you look back at their recent year history, you know, that, that tends to happen. I mean, Carl Anderson in a tag team role coming out of nowhere to become just the second, you know, American-born guy to be in the finals a few years ago. Last year, Goto making that surprising run opposite Omega. I'd love to see Ibushi become that guy this year. Did you see that? moonsault he did off the second tier of the of the arena onto I believe it was Fale below yep. I mean that was sort of a, a an incredible pass around me moment and just recently guys that Omega match with um evil when he did you see that spot through the table 
where it looked like I'm not there yet. I, I actually have not caught up to it. I know who yeah. won the match. Like I know how it turned out, but I have not watched it yet. All right, that was the second biggest you almost broke your neck spot of the week. Omega sold for that. He sold out. He poured out the jar for that. But in that A side, Nick, Omega, of course, on the B side, it's looking like Omega Okada going down to that final day. On the A side, your gut tells you Naito is so hot right now it would make sense. There's that part of you that's saying Tanahashi is working with one good arm right now. He's so over. He's the man. Is there anyone else that we are forgetting that could or maybe should come out of that A side? Because it's pretty level across the board. Four different guys with eight points at the moment, four more with six points. All right, so let's just play process of elimination here. It's not going to be Saber, right? We know that. It's not going to be Ishii, most likely. I don't think that they would put Ishii into the finals of the G1. I don't think it's going to be Tanahashi. Maybe they throw you the curveball here, but I doubt that it'll be Tanahashi. And that leaves two names. And it's the guys that put on the best match so far of the G1, the opening main event, Tetsuya Naito and Kota Ibushi. And here's the thing with Ibushi, Bri, that's fascinating. Because Kenny Omega, who's the biggest star in New Japan right now, regardless of the fact that Okada's got the uh, the heavyweight strap, Omega has talked about two things. Number one, beating Okada. And number two, beating you. And that's how he says it. He goes, if I get to face you in the final. He never says who it is. But he's talking about Kota Ibushi because these two guys used to be a tag team back in the day. They split up. So I think I wouldn't be shocked if it were Ibushi and it were Omega Ibushi because people would go absolutely crazy for that and the match would be great. But you put a gun to my head, I think we'll see, still see Tetsuya Naito uh, emerge out of the A block victorious. I mean, that's the match I want to see. There's no question. When I go through this tournament, the two guys I'm looking for every single night when I'm kind of fast-forwarding through those tag team matches, I want to catch them, are Omega and Ibushi, and that's what I want. I don't want us to pass over, though, because we, we have, and we're not talking about specific matches, I understand, but last week I talked about Okada Elgin. This week, we have to talk Omega Elgin. That was an incredible match, and the fact that Elgin went over and did so in pretty, not dominant fashion, but in a way that just upped his credibility in a massive way. Omega actually losing a match, man, that was fantastic. Uh, what a great match that was. And they, these two have had, Bri, a sensational rivalry here over the last couple years. Obviously, they had that awesome match in Long Beach in the United States Championship Tournament. And look, we'll sp- it was it was like a week ago at this point, so I'm going to spoil the ending. Kenny Omega put Michael Elgin over in this match via the Burning Hammer. That's Omega's only loss thus far. That match, plus Okada Elgin, Elgin sort of, Bri, the the dark horse under the radar star thus far of the G1 tournament. No doubt about it. I mean, for a big man to be able to work at that level of a work rate, to be able to play this style has just been incredible. Yes, he has his big strength moments. He's he's almost, you know, Cesaro-like in terms of just doing freak-like strength moments in there. But to be able to be that athletic, to do these kind of power moves off of the top rope, it just makes you want to learn more about this guy if you hadn't. I came into this not knowing a lot about Big Mike, just 30 years old, a native Canadian from Toronto himself. This guy making huge noise. I sort of made that jo- passing joke in how we ripped WWE last week where if he had, had he been in NXT right now, he'd probably be with heavy machinery as the third man. It's probably true, <laughs> but these guys are showing you how great they can work one star after another being born in a tournament like this. That's that's the number one thing that this type of tournament does. You just roll out the balls and let these people be great. Now I want to see these guys and follow them the rest of their journey, whether it's back to Ring of Honor, whether it's to WWE down the road. Elgin making huge noise right now. He's only got four points. He's not coming out of this B block. It's pretty much Kenny or, or Okada at this point, but this guy has had a few gems, including his match with Okada, which was a slam dunk. So lots of great matches in the G1. And for our first pay-per-view rewind segment, the match, 
It was not great. Brian Campbell, because he is a sadist and also part masochist. Sadist because he made us sit through it. Masochist because he made himself sit through it. The Doomsday Cage match at Uncensored 96 was the first ever edition of Pay-Per-View Rewind. But because I care about the audience and I care about my co-host, I chose a great match for the second edition, Brian Campbell, of Pay-Per-View Rewind. You know, yeah, how does that get you fired up? Come I on. was actually not going to start talking until that stopped playing, so it really could have played for another minute, and I would have let it keep playing because I love that old WrestleMania theme song. So the match this week, I picked it. I obviously loved it. I said it last week. We'll delve into it here. I'll give you my take, but you guys got to go first. Stone Cold Steve Austin, Kurt Angle, SummerSlam 2001. I called it the most underappreciated and underrated match in the history of WWE. That's obviously a hyperbolic statement. I believe it to be true. What do you guys think of my choice of Austin Angle in the main event of SummerSlam 01? All right, here's why I love this segment. Here's why I love this idea, because it educates. And me, after WCW was bought out by WWE, after Nitro came to a close, I started to do the math in my head, because when Nick brought this match up, I didn't remember it. It didn't, it didn't jump out in my mind. And I'm like, was this right at the point when I cut off? And in history, as I look back, it was. Losing Nitro kind of took something out of my heart. Looking back, I wish I hung around and stayed with the product through 01 when they merged rosters and did big things. But I was talking to Samson a lot back then. So there was a lot of a lot of different <laughs> things going on in the B-Cam's life. I completely missed this stretch. Did not watch this SummerSlam. So to watch this with virgin eyes and to pull a Silverstein and not know who went over in the end as you're sitting through near fall after near fall and controversy with referees, which we'll get into in a second, I could not have popped more. A couple things stood out to me right off the start. This was strong style, so friggin' stiff, legit from the very beginning. Not just a blade job, but from the opening brawl and they spill outside the ring. You are talking about stiff stuff. This guy right here, B-Cam, loves stiff stuff. There's no question about that. And just to open this card, just hitting the, the button and pressing play at the beginning of the card. You know it's 2001 when you get a Bodies video, music video by Drowning Pool to open the whole card interspersed with WWE highlights in the middle. That kind of got me like, you know, wow, we're in that era again. Like it, like it was t- took you back there completely. But I love just some subtle things about here. Paul Heyman on commentary. Love it, right? Yep. You forget how great he is there. He was so annoying in that early WCW run in the early 90s when it was him and Jim Ross and he was doing the Paulie dangerously out of the way. I forgot how incredible he was by this point. Yeah. Completely polished. If they brought him back today, he'd wear himself out of a job within six months, but he would be incredible and be the lead heel that they can possibly produce. And without giving away parts of this match, Damn! No, I give it away. Like, yeah, give it away. Give it away. Everyone, Everyone, yeah, people, people should have I'm seen it at this the, point. Yeah, they should have watched I'm it. I'm the table here. I miss Blade Jobs so much. I just do. It's representative of the era I came up in where every wrestling magazine and book that I had in elementary school was filled with graphic pictures of dudes busted open. So it's sort of like ingrained in me. But the impact that a Blade Job has on a big match when the storytelling is done right is you can't compare anything to it. I mean, look at Bret Hart, Roddy Piper, WrestleMania 8. Obviously, Austin Hart, WrestleMania 13. Just two of many examples. When you time that and put it in there at the right time and when this match was constantly about – 
how is Angle still on his feet after taking this level of beating? I was with him fighting through that match. I was on the edge of my seat watching him bleed, watching the referee Hebner's hands covered in Angle's blood. I know that we can't have that today for many reasons, health reasons. Would I want my kids watching these type of matches? No, I actually wouldn't watch it, despite me missing it and coming up through it. But man, do we still need this in big hands, big fights, because this is fighting. Like, this is a simulation of fighting. This match had a perfect play job that ran the course the rest of the match. This was so physical. I'm going to give it back to Adam now. I just marked out for all the things that just stood out how much I love, and that even had nothing to do with how damn great this match was booked. Yeah, I, I don't want to repeat much of what Brian said because I felt the exact same way. What I'll say is this. In WWE's style, this was a Omega Okada-esque match in terms of you're taking two guys that are extremely talented wrestlers, really good on the mic, really overperformers, and you have them put on a Can great— Can I take you a step further? Sure. Because I think it's worth noting this. And you're right, and I know that you're not saying otherwise here. These are not two excellent performers. These are two of, like, yeah. the ten best performers in the history of the business. Exactly. And as good as Austin Rock was, and those matches were really good, the way Angle performs in a ring and can put stuff over is a great foil for Austin. So you had two guys that were in their prime, best in the business, and told a great story throughout the match. Again, I could go on for ten minutes and say everything Brian said, but I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to say the one thing that, like, kind of bothered me a little bit. When you're watching it, I, I did watch it in 2001. I watched until 2002. So I did remember the match. I didn't remember the finish. And that's what people bang on. Like and, that, that's why it's, it was not given five stars by Meltzer or by others. Yeah, and it's deservedly so. Because if you're going to put on a match of this type of quality, having it end not just with multiple referee issues, but in a disqualification where you can't even get a clean finish despite all the referee stuff, you know, it kind of ruined it for me a little bit at the end. I was, it didn't ruin it. I was deflated. I was like, oh man, like I really wanted to see that one more angle slam or that one more stunner and get a pinfall at the end. So really good. I, match. I came out of there feeling like I wanted to see what was going to happen next. I actually was down with that because Austin's the heel. I was down with the way that that went out. They really put over angle as a true baby face in there as a guy who worked from the bottom up that whole match. I was like, man, I want to see SmackDown next week or raw to see what happens next. So if you're watching WWE in 2001, yes, I could see there. If we were evaluating it back in 2001, maybe we're not saying that, but and just for seeing the record, it as a one-off is different. Angle won the belt at the next pay-per-view in clean fashion over, over Stone Cold Steve Austin. So it did build to that rematch here. For me, this match has got everything. It's got violence. I mean, like, you talk about strong style. I mean, Austin threw Angle into the ring post five or six times in a series in succession as, like, one big spot where, like, I gotta tell you, like, I know wrestling's fake. It looked pretty damn real. And again, it's two of the best performers of all time. It had the physicality that Brian mentioned. It had a super hot crowd. It had blood. It had humor. Like, with all the ref bumps, Austin, the new referee runs in. Austin gives him the middle finger, gives the referee the stunner, and eventually gets disqualified for it. So, so you're on the edge of your seat. You're watching this. There's blood. The guys are beating the hell out of each other. And then there's comic relief as well. So it's got everything. Now, I'm going to give it my five-star rating here. I can't give it five stars. I really want to, but there wasn't a clean finish. I'm going to give it 4.75 stars from yours truly. I think it's as, as close you can get to a five-star match without actually being a five-star match. But again, I chose this match because I wanted more people to watch it because I feel like not enough people have seen it and truly understand the greatness of it. 4.75 
couple of small moments that stood out huge to me as well that I'm remembering. Stone Cold goes out and flips off a trio of 15-year-old kids in the front row. <laughs> I popped massive for this because the timing was so perfect. He turns right in their face and flips them off, and then they pop huge for being part of a moment like that. It's like Hugh Austin doesn't get much respect, mostly because he talks down that run anytime he gets the chance on his own podcast that that felt like a feel spot moment for me. All the sick moves are great, but when Nick Patrick runs out after one referee after another gets taken out, Nick Patrick, the greatest heel referee in pro wrestling history, I popped so huge that when Angle, after that decision, looks over the ropes and goes, you son of a bitch, you robbed me. I had a legitimate feel spot moment. I'm going to get, look, Meltzer rated this four and a half. I think he's probably right on point. I'm going to give it four and a quarter stars. So physical. The story didn't turn me off that it was a botched finish because, like I said, I wanted to see more. And you have a superplex from Austin. You have a beautiful moonsault from Angle down the stretch of that. You have a perfectly handled multi-ref bump scenario. So, so damn good. Yeah, I'm right there with you at four and a quarter. I think if I was grading it in 2001, I probably am with Nick or, you know, with one of you guys. Four and a half, 4.75. But coming back, for the reason I said, watching it, you know, 16 years later, not having the decisive finish, I have to downgrade it a little bit. And also, it's 4.25 for a, you know, big time match at a pay-per-view, not 4.25 versus a really good match on Raw, which can get a 4.25 just based on in-ring work and quality. So, yeah, so we all really liked the match. Um, I liked it the most, I think, obviously, since I'm the one that chose it. Um, so, Bry, I think, you know, obviously, you know, my match was better than yours, although maybe yours was a little funnier than mine, the Doomsday Cage match. Yeah. Mine was a historical thing that doesn't get enough attention for being awful. So I was happy to sort of point that out. Like, are you kidding me? In modern, borderline modern times, we actually had something this bad. But your match, like I said, loved it because I hadn't seen it. And sometimes I wave off the double knee brace era of Austin's career because he was such a good worker, you know, before being dropped on his head by Owen Hart, before becoming a full-time brawler. This was in the midst of full-time brawler role, yet he put out a hellacious match to steal one of his adjectives. So I'm glad you talked me into seeing this, Nick. I'm glad we have this segment because I popped massive. And since you went first, I went second. That leaves the Silver King for next week's edition of Pay-Per-View Rewind. Adam, what match have you chosen for our televisual pleasure? So as soon as I learned we were doing this segment, there was one match that stuck into my mind. And this is not the match we're doing this week, but it's WrestleMania 10 HBK versus Razor Ramon ladder match, you know, for the Intercontinental title. That's the one I wanted us to watch first. We've all seen that a hundred times. But we've all seen that a hundred times, and it's August, and SummerSlam's coming up. So I wanted to do a SummerSlam match, but I still wanted Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon. So we're going to go 1995 SummerSlam. The rematch of the ladder match between Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon. It was a quick build. It was not initially planned for the show. And it was not what you would expect coming off that WrestleMania a year and a half early. Cause like Shane Douglas was involved in this and there was some like some, like something happened that forced this match to happen. Stuff right? happened within WWE. I think there was an injury and we'll get into that next week when, when we lay the whole thing out. But it's a 25 minute ladder match with these two guys. It's the rematch. It's the co-main event of the show. And this SummerSlam as a whole, if you want to go back and watch the whole thing, you have Kane as Isaac Yankum DDS against Bret Hart. You have The Godfather as Kama, the supreme fighting machine, against The Undertaker. There are so many little nuggets in this entire show that the entire pay-per-view is worth watching as a whole. But it's this match that I want us to watch and talk about next week. Not just us. I want all of you listeners to watch it as well. 
I I'm thought, definitely down because I was not watching at that time. 1995, probably the worst year pound for pound in, in, in modern wrestling history. I mean, I mean this was, of course, Mabel winning King of the Ring and that, that, that whole rigmarole here with WWF being absolutely terrible with Diesel as champion and, and the shows being in the tank and the attendance down and, and all that stuff. I'll give Silver King some credit, Bride, because I thought he was going to pick an awful match. He actually picked a pretty good match, and can I be honest with you guys? And I fancy myself to be like a, a wrestling historian, and to, to a large degree I am. I've never seen this match before. I've never seen nice. Michael's Razor ladder match. I know who wins. I'm not going to spoil the winner in case you guys haven't seen it. But I've never seen this match before. And you, and you, Bride, based on what you said, I don't think you've seen it either. Absolutely not. I mean, 1995 was the gutter, so I'm excited to see what what there if there was some good can be found in 1995 here in wrestling history. I want to make it clear. I'm not saying whether it's great, which is the direction Nick went. I'm not saying it's bad, which is the direction BC went. This is an open ended. Watch this match and evaluate. It. Well, I mean, it's Michaels and Razor Ramon. I'm just so, saying I mean, in a ladder match. So I mean, it's obviously going to be it's pretty not going to be. It's not terrible. I mean, it's not going to be probably. And I've never seen it. I doubt it's going to be good as WrestleMania 10 because that is arguably a top two or three match in the history of WWE. But we'll see if the second one is as good or close to it. Again, pay per view rewind part three. Michaels Razor SummerSlam '95 ladder match. And you know what will be interesting is the week after, Nick, it'll be uh, viewer's choice. It'll be one of our listeners who are going to jump in. How are we going to figure out how we're going to choose? Just have people slide in the DMs? I think we will have people slide into the DMs at B. Campbell CBS at the Costos. You can also find me on Instagram at the Costos and at Silverstein <laughs> Adam and tweet us with the hashtag in this corner. I don't know. We'll have to work out. It'll be a very scientific process or We'll just text and figure out which one we want to choose. But obviously, start se- you know what? Start sending them in now. Don't wait until next week. Start sending them in now. Your choices for the match that you want us to watch and review in a couple weeks. Pay-per-view rewind right here on In This Corner with the man whose name is on the marquee, Brian Campbell. So I hope that this match hits us in the old field spot. But let's focus on what hit us in the old field spot this week. Brian Campbell, beginning with you. Look, this is a very small moment that just had an old school fan, Mark fan feeling for me, which is really what the feel spot in this segment is all about. Akira Tozawa nursing that injured shoulder on 205 Live this week, comes out for his match, stops on the way there, and there's a bunch of kids at the railing and does his ha, ha, ha routine in their face. And these kids mark out outrageously. I haven't even watched all of 205 Live this week. It's starting to slip on my radar, especially with the G1 going on, but I retweeted this clip. Go check my Twitter account at BCampbellCBS and see the joy on these kids' faces and the intensity to do that ridiculous thing in Akira Tozawa's face. I had one of those pure moments of just like, you know what? This is what wrestling is all about. Maybe it's because I'm old now. I wear dad jeans sometimes. Maybe that's part of it, but that's wrestling to me. Uh, that and a blade job. All right. That's wrestling <laughs> to me. Those are the two things. Yeah. Well, you talk about what's wrestling to you. What wrestling to me is, is kayfabe and keeping kayfabe, which doesn't often happen these days, but I'll tell you who's doing a great job of it. The angle family, because on Instagram prior to Monday night raw, they were all backstage, obviously in Kurt's hometown of Pittsburgh. And there is a family group picture uh, of the entire Angle clan with Jason Jordan. They're all wearing the same T-shirts. The wife is there. Kurt's there, etc. I said I posted this picture also on Twitter at Silverstein Adam, and it just plays in so perfectly to what WWE is trying to do. The wife has been involved from the get-go. Oh, my God, she tweeted or something along those lines when the reveal happened, as if Kurt hadn't told his wife ahead of going on national television and announcing it. But the picture just put it to another level to me. I really wish they would have put it up on Raw at some point during the mid-show segment or 
Miss TV, I mean, or whatever the case. Maybe they'll show it next week. But it's a great picture. It's really funny. And if you still like kayfabe and if it's still real to you, damn it, check out this picture. I love that Silver King threw in the if it's still real to you, damn it. I, I, I like that a lot. Uh, my choice for the field spot this week, <clears throat> it belongs to... The Shakespeare of song, <laughs> the Mozart of mayhem. I love me some Aiden English. The guy oh. is the guy is freaking talented, man. Like oh. he, he's got a great voice and he's got a great look and he's got a ton of charisma. And now they're giving him a chance to take the ball and run with it. And if you noticed on SmackDown Live before his match with Sami Zayn, he generated a ton. Of heat. And the best thing that he did was when he goes, W, W, he paused before the E and told the crowd to shh, which, as we know, makes people want to boo even louder. And like Pavlov's dogs responding to the old bell, that's exactly what they did. Aided English, heat-seeking missile, the Mozart of mayhem, the Shakespeare of song. I love the drama king Aiden English. It hit me in the feel spot. Look, I was taught that you never put your hand in another man's field spot. That you don't, uh, you know, you don't tug on. Here's Superman's the good news, buddy. Here, I, I, I like to be touched, so go ahead and touch away. I'm just saying, this Joe Bear, you're gonna pop for this Joe Bear. First of all, next week if this keeps up, and I know he's won three in a row, so maybe it's time to talk about him. He's just gonna be called Aiden next week, just so you know. <laughs> or, or English. <laughs> but really, this guy, this guy, uh, maybe we should ch- team him up with the Perfect Ten and call him Perfect English. That's a guy that that's got Nick written all over it right there. I want to defend Nick here because when I was choosing my field spot, I was choosing between Kurt Angle's picture and Aiden English. They gave him the full entrance. It's the first time they'd ever done that. Every other time, he started in the ring, kind of like Elias, and did his thing. They gave him a full entrance with a blacked-out crowd, all attention on him, and they gave him a win over Sami Zayn, which I hated at the time. But they put Aiden English over, and they got me liking it, too. I'm 100% with you. The Picasso of pain. Brian, how do you, like, are you not, like, I feel like freaking, like, uh, like, uh, well, Russell Crowe and Joaquin Phoenix and Gladiator. Are you not freaking entertained, buddy, by the Drama King? Like, really? Like, you watch SmackDown Live, and you're like, this sucks when Aiden Aiden English is out there drawing tons Uh of heat? My reaction is more like this. Did you see that guy's balls? That's really what I think about it in English, you know. Oh, come, come on, on man. He's the, he's the Rembrandt. He's he's the Rembrandt of rage. And the bad news, man. There's no other place for us to move on because we've reached the end of the broadcast. That does it for the in this corner professional wrestling edition. Bry, tell the listeners what else they can look forward to this week on the pod. Yeah, definitely check out our boxing edition of In This Corner as Rafe Bartholomew and I recap a Garcia Broner card from Brooklyn last Saturday. We will also be talking to unbeaten junior welterweight champion Terrence Crawford in a very strong interview looking ahead at his August 19th return, getting his opinion on the other big names in and around the welterweight division. Bry, I can't wait for those pods this week. They will be absolutely awesome. That does it for us. In this corner, Pro Wrestling Edition for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, and the man whose name is on the marquee, Brian Campbell. I am the insecure, petty little man known as Handsome Nick Costos. Brian Campbell's got two words for you as we take you out. We out. <laughs>